Hey, well, I'm so glad that it's not 19. How about you? I'm glad it's not 19 degrees or 1997 or 19 anything else. How about you? I'm glad. Are you glad about that? I'm glad. 90s were kind of a lost time, weren't they? Sort of like the 70s reloaded. But I'm glad it's not that. How many of you are glad it's warming up? Come on. All you southern people, where you at? Yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm also glad that you survived the snow blizzard of 2018. I just thought I'd bring a little picture to show you. This is what a snow blizzard looks like in 20... You can't see that. Maybe that's a tape measure measuring the depth of the snow. That first mark's one inch. It didn't even get above the chrome on the bottom. Do you see that? That's what we call a blizzard in Alabama. I don't know where, where you're from, but in Alabama, we shut everything for as long as humanly possible until the last speck of ice is gone off the last piece of asphalt in the state. Then we reopen. But how many of you that were in school enjoyed it? Yeah? Where are all our, all our school? You're glad to be out, weren't you? Well, your parents weren't. But that's over, and I'm glad you survived, and here we are. Last year was the first time in American history that Americans spent more money on eating out than they did eating at home. Did you know that? Last year, first time it's ever happened. Have you ever noticed when you eat out that usually a topic of conversation will arise somewhere in the middle of the meal, regardless of who, unless you're eating alone, but regardless of who you're eating with, and it may even dominate the entire mealtime. I don't know why we do this, but when we go out to eat, we talk about food. You notice that? And we talk about all the other places we want to eat. You know who's got a good chicken sandwich? You know? Let me tell you about the best steak ever. You ever done, have you ever done this? Anybody ever done this? Just me. You go out and eat and you talk about all the other food that you've eaten and all the food you want to eat. What, why is that? Uh, if you've ever gone on a really good trip or vacation or something, I guarantee you somewhere in the vacation somebody's going to go, you know where else we could go? You know what I mean? You're like, well, we're here now. You know, it's kind of cool. Yeah, but you know what else we could do? Or you know what we could do next year? You know, I'm not sure all of that's entirely good, However, there is something uh, human and good about it. It is that we tend to look forward to things. So maybe you're looking forward to the summer. Come on, somebody from the deep south, help me. You're looking forward to the summer. I like when I turn my air conditioning on. I like that. I don't like wearing two pairs of socks and all that stuff having to pull all the junk out of the closet before you go check the mail so you don't freeze to death. Or, or maybe, maybe you're looking forward to getting out of school for summer break or buying your first house, or maybe you're looking forward to having your first baby or seeing your first grandchild. We all have things we look forward to. We look forward to the weekend. Get a break. We look forward to sleeping in, or we look forward to going off a diet. You might even look forward to not fasting anymore. I don't know if you're doing something like that. You, we look forward to getting off work at the end of the day because we are future-thinking people. This is what vision is. If you've ever done any of those things, you're a visionary because you look toward the future. Vision is foundational to what it means to be human. The person who has nothing to look forward to is dying. Because it's part of living, part of being human, to look forward to something. Albert Einstein said, imagination is more important 
the knowledge. And the reason that we're all visionaries is because we were made in God's image, who is the ultimate visionary. The Bible tells us that the world started as a utopia and that the world is going to end as a utopia. At the beginning of time, the Bible says, there's the lush Garden of Eden, and at the end of time, there's the shining city of God that will be filled with the river of life. Squished in between those utopias is what we got. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask, or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. See, God is the original visionary. We get our ability and our desire to dream from him because he made us like him in his image. Hebrews 11.1 1 says it this way, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Assurance about what we do not see. We have assurance in what God is doing, even though we haven't seen it yet. That's called vision. That's called dreaming. I can't see it with my physical eyes, but I can see it with my spiritual eyes. How many of you are waiting on something you haven't seen yet, but you believe that God is working on it? Maybe you have an unsaved child or spouse or loved one or friend, and you know God's working on it, but you haven't seen anything yet. Maybe you need a job or you need a breakthrough or you need to be healed in your body or mind or you need some provision or you need direction. You haven't seen it yet, but you believe by faith that God is working on it, right? You're a dreamer. You're a visionary. That's what faith is. Isn't that what it means to be Christian? I haven't seen heaven yet, but I believe he's working on it. When Jesus said, I go away to prepare a place for you, I believe he's working on it. I haven't seen it yet, but I believe it's there. So why did God make us visionaries? God made us visionaries and gave us vision because vision motivates us. You you don't get up in the morning going, uh, you know, uh, what am I going to do? You get up in the morning going, look what I get to do. I've I've got a goal. I've got a dream I've got a plan I've got a vision I've got something it gives us hope vision vision is optimistic it's not negative a God dream is about something getting better not something getting worse it pushes us to be our best if you don't have a dream if you don't have a plan if you don't have something out there then what are you doing you're just grinding it out you're just surviving but, but you're not really, you're not pushing to be your, you'll never become your best until you have a dream. Because you'll never find the energy to push through the obstacles and overcome the circumstances and sacrifice what you need to sacrifice to become everything God wants you to be without a dream. Dreams deepen our dependence on God. That's why he gives them to us. Because he says, hey, here's my dream. And you go, are you sure about that? Because that sounds crazy. <laughs> and I don't do crazy. Because when God gives you a dream, it's obvious, if it's his, it's obvious that it's bigger than you and you can't do it alone. And so what do you start to do? Oh, God. <laughs> you start to lean in. I'm going to have to 
God, if that's going to happen, I'm going to have to have your help. And he says, yes. Part of what he's trying to do is break your independence off by that dream. He'll give you that thing so it'll break that independent spirit. Dreams remind us that hard work pay off. Something I'm working toward. It helps us to focus. Don't you find in the crazy times we live in, it's hard sometimes to prioritize? Looks like there's 13 important things, not one or two. And you say, how do I, which one can I do first? But when you have a dream, priorities become clear. Because you go, whoa, 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 these might be good things, but they're not the best things. And i got to put those things down so that I might reach for the best things. Dreams give meaning to everyday life. Because you're on a journey. You're not just trying to get through the day. You're trying to get to the, the dream. You're trying to get to the goal. And every day is a step toward it. And so it gives life, every, every, uh, everyday life meaning. A person with no dreams is in serious need of spiritual renewal. In this series, we've called God Dreams. Let me just walk you back for a minute through the, the last two weeks in case you missed part of it or maybe today's your first day. Here's what we said two weeks ago. God gives his dreams to those who walk with him. In other words, I'm not going to walk my own way and I'm not going to do my own thing and I'm not going to serve some other God or something else. That's not going to happen and, and God's going to give me... God, God intertwines his dreams through the filter of a personal relationship with him. Here's what we said last week. God gives his dreams to those who have a growing, holy discontent. That sense that something is wrong in the world and it needs to be made right... And I can't stand it anymore that it's not right. I feel this discontentment that's righteous and holy inside of me. And I've got to do something. And if you, if you missed that message, I would encourage you to get on our podcast and listen. So today, God gives his dreams to those who, who pursue his story. Now let me, let me explain that a little bit because it might not quite make sense. What is God's story? Well, God has a mega story, this gigantic, all-encompassing, larger than the entire, not Milky Way, larger than the entire universe. He has this story. There is no bigger story. God has the biggest story for us to live in, and when we lose sight of it, we live in smaller stories. Now, we tend to gravitate toward the biggest stories we can find and we live in them because deep in the heart of every person, there's a longing to make a difference. Not just breathe air, not just consume things, not just survive, but to know that when you die, your life mattered. You did something that mattered. You were a part of something that impacted those around you and made a difference, not just to survive, but make a difference. John Eldridge, in a book called The Sacred Romance, explains this concept. He has a whole chapter on it. He calls it a tournament of stories. How many of you like March Madness? Yeah, it's coming, right? That is a crazy tournament. 
It's just insane. That's why it's called March Madness. Yes, yes, because it's insane. That mirrors the world we live in. A tournament of stories, he calls it. I call it a tornado of stories that are all competing for the primary way that we define our lives. If someone can get their logo on you, if someone can get their plan on you, if someone can get you going the way they want you to go and investing in the things they want you to invest in, you have defined your life by that smaller story. And in the absence of a mega story... We settle for one of these smaller stories that someone else oftentimes has made up for us. Now, I want to read you um, a a long uh, quote from this book. I wouldn't normally do this to you, but I thought that it captured so powerfully what we're saying this morning that I just wanted to read through it from, I think it's chapter 7 from the Sacred Romance. Here's what he says. In the postmodern era... All we have left are small stories. It's not Pentecost. It's time for spring training. Our role models are movie stars. And the biggest taste of transcendence is the opening of ski season. Our best expressions are on the level of, have a nice day. Or what we sometimes say, how are you doing? I hope you don't tell me. The only reminder we have of a story beyond beyond our own is the evening news. Uh Uh-oh. An arbitrary collection of scenes and images without any bigger picture in which they fit. What do I do with this? We are being fed with a fire hose of information and videos all day long, but nobody's telling us where they fit. Where do I put all this? What do I do with it? The central belief of our times is that there is no story and nothing hangs together. We all have bits and pieces, the random days of our lives. Tragedy still brings us to tears and heroism still lifts our hearts, but there is no context to any of it. Our heart is made to live in a larger story. Why? Because our heart was made by the same God who made the larger story. Having lost that, we do the best we can by developing our own smaller dramas. Look at the things people get caught up in. Sports, politics, soap operas, rock bands. Desperate, desperate for something larger to give our lives transcendence, but we try to lose ourselves in the smallest kind of stories. So here's some storylines from those smaller stories. A materialist might develop this smaller story to live in. The more things I own, the more successful I am. That's a smaller story. Here's another one, a relativist. My experience tells me what's true. I don't know about that. That might be true for you, but that's not true for me. That's a small story. How about this? All my bosses are jerks and I'll never get ahead in life. I've been mistreated everywhere I've ever gone. I've been mistreated. That's my story. And I'm not going to live in a bigger one. My life is happiest when my children are good at school and sports. That's the biggest story I can find. 
How many of you um, like sports movies? How many of you like sports movies? It's okay. It's not a sin. I love sports movies. Let's do it again. How many of you like sports movies? You're like afraid now. I love sports movies. If, if there's a good one that I haven't seen, I'd like you to tell me about it. Because I think I've seen them all. I love sports movies. But I have noticed this theme. There's several football movies. And they always have this scene. Uh, two or three of them I've noticed it in. Where there's this new coach... You know, the football program's in shambles. He rolls into town. He's trying to turn the whole thing around. And it's just, a, it's just a mess. You know, it might be like University of Tennessee. I don't know, something like that. It's just a mess. It's a mess. Whatever, you know, metaphor you need. And, and this coach comes into town to fix it. And, you know, he's a little edgy and he's a little unorthodox. And nobody's really sure about him. But nobody cares because it can't get any worse. <clears throat> So they just throw him out there. He gets out there, and there's a lot of controversy about his tactics and all this stuff. And, and right in the middle of the movie somewhere, there comes this tension, this low point, where even he wonders if this is really going to work. And he walks out onto the football field, and usually there's an assistant coach or somebody there that goes, hey, hey, I'm going to go home. You know, you, you going to go home too? It's late. And he says something like this. I've heard this exact phrase at least twice in a football movie. No, no. I'm not going to wherever everybody else is going. And he looks at the football field and he says, This is my sanctuary. This is my sanctuary. This is my place of peace. This is why, where I regather myself. And what I've noticed in those movies is this thing. That coach has poured his life into that sport to the point of absolute worship. Why? Because he's living in the biggest story he can find. But it's still a small story. It's not the story. If you want to know where our houses of worship are being built today, look at the local sports arena and stadium. They are multi-million and billions of dollars. Why do you think that fantasy sports are growing? Shouldn't that first word tell you something? Fantasy. You can't play, but you can pretend like you play. <laughs> you're old and your knees are broke down and you're out of shape. And by the way, you never were good enough anyway. But you can pretend. Why don't you draft some people? Then you walk around talking about my team, my running back. Did you see my quarterback Sunday? He's not your quarterback. They done put a fish hook in your mouth and reeling you in. You don't got no quarterback. And the amount of money we spend on sports is going up. And don't even mention how some people live vicariously through their children's sports. Why? Because their time is over. And it was the biggest story they ever lived in. And they can't get back there, so all they can do now is relive it through their children. But it's still a small story. You and I mark it down. That's the culture we live in. We will give our lives away to something. And it's usually the biggest story we can find, but all these stories are small stories compared to God's story. 
So let's talk about that for a minute. If you remember, we've mentioned in this series Moses who had this growing holy discontent about the people of Israel being in slavery and bondage. And then that led him to an encounter with God at a burning bush where God said, Moses, you go tell Pharaoh to tell them to let my people go. And and the dream was God was going to take his people from slavery and bondage into the promised land. But on the way to the promised land... Somebody lost sight of the dream. Exodus 32. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, God had told Moses to come up on the mountain. We're going to give everybody some rules to live by so they'll stop killing each other. Stealing and all this crazy stuff. So Moses goes up on the mountain to meet with God to get the Ten Commandments. But look what happens. They gather around Aaron, second in command, and said, come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who, bought, who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. Moses took so long in their opinion. They got tired of waiting. Their faith started to go down. And all they could see is what was around them. They lost sight of the dream. They lost sight of the promised land. They lost sight of the vision. So what did they do? They began to live in a smaller story, which is the biggest other story they could find. Verse 2, Aaron answered them, Fine. Take off the gold earrings that your, wi- that your wives and your sons and daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol, cast into the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, Israel. We got a problem. Who brought you up out of Egypt. Not these are your gods for the future. These are actually the ones who delivered you in the past. They're rewriting history. When they couldn't see God's story, they made up their own. Here's a couple thoughts from this verse. First off, all all of our stories are man-made. All of them. Sports, politics, economy, whatever you want to say. All of our stories are man-made. The calf was man-made. It wasn't divine. It wasn't eternal. It had no supernatural power. It couldn't save. It couldn't forgive. It couldn't heal. It was man-made. Is the dream that you're giving your life to man-made or is it a God dream? Here's the other thing. It was also made out of the most valuable thing they could find. Did you notice they made it out of gold? Gold. Why? Even in the worst of times, people will take the most precious thing they have and sacrifice it to to give their life to something. When we can't see God's story, we live in the most valuable stories we can find. We've already talked. Sports, hobbies, politics, social drama, entertainment, personal success. Who was living in God's story? Moses. He's up on the mountain. Pursuing God's story. The people down in the valley are pursuing their own smaller story. Here's the other thing. Only a few of them who worship the calf actually made it. Did you notice that? Aaron said, bring it to me. And I don't know if he had some you know, metal workers or whatever that put this thing together. But here's what's interesting about this story. Everybody else actually worshiped something, not even that they made, that somebody else made. 
Most people who don't live for God's dream don't even live for a dream that they made themselves. If you don't live for God's dream, there's a high chance you're going to live for a dream that some other man or woman has made for you. And they're selling you something or driving something. They have some kind of agenda. You were made an original. Why die a copy? When we can't see God's story, we end up pursuing a smaller story that somebody else has handed to us. Proverbs 29, 29 18 in the message says it this way. If they can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. Without a God dream, we just bounce around and make these golden things and pursue these other things and these other dramas and these other ideas. If you've ever wondered why life feels so frantic and disconnected and you're just holding on to survive, it's because there's no central story driving our lives, no mega story. So this morning, before we wind this up, if you want to take some quick notes, I want to summarize for you in, in six thoughts the entire Bible. The whole Bible, Genesis to Revelation, in six thoughts. And that will give you the outline of God's mega story. Number one, the God of love created Adam and Eve. He's a God of love. He created Adam and Eve perfectly and put them in a perfect environment, a utopia. Number two, Adam and Eve sinned. Sin broke every living thing. There's not a living thing on earth that's not broken, that works the way God made it. And when, when that brokenness happened, evil and sickness and death entered the world. Number three, God chose the Jewish people to reveal his plan of salvation and to bring Jesus into the world. Number four, God sent Jesus to pay for our sins on the cross, die and rise from the dead. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, God longs for a personal relationship with every person. God wants a personal, I don't care who you are, I don't care what race you are, I don't care where you come from, I don't care what religion you were raised in, I don't care what your educational level is, and none of that matters. If you're living and breathing and you're a person, God wants a personal relationship with you. Nothing else matters. Number five, the church has been sent by Jesus and empowered by the Holy Spirit to share God's message of forgiveness and restoration with everyone on earth. And number six, there will be a new heavens and a new earth. And every true believer will gather together from every tribe and nation on earth in eternity. And everyone who rejects Christ will be eternally separated from God. That's the whole story. That's the mega story. God has a dream for you to live in this story. God will never have a dream for you that's outside that story. Never. That's what we call a fantasy. And it is man-made, and it produces man-made results. But God has a dream for you that is a God dream, and it fits in His story, and it produces God results. 
So let's say it one more time this morning. God gives his dreams to those who pursue him. What we need is a mega story to blow up all our little stories. That's what we need. I, I, I was reminded this week of a time I saw that happen. When Hurricane Katrina blew into our community when we lived on the coast, I'll never forget what happened. It disrupted everything. Everything. On every level. You can't even fathom until you've experienced how many things you take for granted until they're all disrupted for months and months and months. And I can remember the first gathering we had from our church was not in the building. It was in our youth pastor's driveway. We couldn't communicate. Cell coverage was on and off. It maybe come on an hour a day. Uh, electricity was out. And uh, we found uh, uh, this big case of hot dogs and hot dog buns. And we had a, a propane tank and a little stove eye, outdoor stove eye cooker. And we cooked hot dogs and had Gatorade. And whoever we could get the word out to, whose roads were open enough they could travel, we invited them to come eat in that driveway. Bring your lawn chair and come to the driveway. It is about 100 million degrees. So we did it like right near sundown. And I'll never forget, I'll never forget when we stood in that driveway. And we said, you know, before we eat these hot dogs, this Gatorade, it's all we got. Let's pray. Let's thank God that we're here. And let's thank God that he left us here for a reason. And what is that reason? And we stood in that driveway, we sang worship songs, and we joined hands and we prayed. And there were probably 25 or 30 people. And I'll never forget that moment. Because in that moment, that disaster came and blew up all our other little stories. And what became most important were the people standing behind us, beside us, and the hands we were holding, and the purpose by which we gathered as the church. I remember when I first went back to the coast and we had uh, the assistant uh, chief of police in Gulfport was in our church. And his wife was a dispatcher. And I'll never forget when I went down to the police station to see if I could find them. I didn't know. They lost everything. Their house was totally destroyed. They lost all their baby pictures and all their sentimental things. Everything was gone. They were working. Uh, they were on duty when the storm hit. And I remember going down to the police station, which was wrecked. And I said, well, where's the new police station? And they had moved it, you know, eight miles inland up into this abandoned building. And I went to that abandoned building. I'll never forget when Stacy and I walked in there, and here, here they are, here they come. And we just, we just held each other and cried for a few minutes. It's amazing when our little stories get blown up, how important these other things become. And I remember standing out on the hot asphalt while thousands of people went through our distribution center and they would roll the window down and stop and we would pray for them. And I stood on that asphalt and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and people cried and wept and hearts were open like you couldn't believe. We were able to minister to people we had no other way into their life until then. That Thanksgiving we fed 1,700 people Thanksgiving dinner in our parking lot. And all those little stories just keep getting blown up. Now it's not important when opening day of baseball is. What's important is, is everybody got food. What's important is, is, how's their soul? Are they going to heaven when this is over? You know, all of that. Do we really need a big crisis like that to find God's dream? 
I don't, think you, I don't think you have to have that, no. I think it disrupts life enough that you start looking for answers you didn't look for before. But you don't have to have it. I don't know, I think something like maybe 21 days of prayer and fasting might do it. Or an encounter with God. Or being filled with the Holy Spirit. I think there's a lot of ways you can get that. I don't think it has to come that way. But it is a pretty giant shift. Maybe worshiping and praying tonight together at Soak might stir something like that. An encounter comes when a hungry heart says, God, here I am. You can use me. Let me tell you something that just happened this week. And I, won't, I won't mention any names, but I just want to say this so you can kind of get a vibe on how this might look and what, what God is doing. Our basketball team at our school just qualified for the um, playoffs. And the opening game of the playoffs is next Wednesday night. We think probably during church. And two of the, I, I, was, I, would, I thought there was a possibility that, and I was thinking, you know, what, what was going to happen? And I overheard two of the players talking at the end of the last game they played last week. Hey, we already told our coach, the game's on Wednesday night, we're not going. We're going to church. You're going to miss the playoffs for church? Yeah, we already told them. You already told them? Yeah, we told them. We're not going to be there. He said, we'll do what you got to do. Wow. Can I just tell you? Looks like that's the kind of heart God can use. Uh-oh. Somebody's starting to bring their little stories that we've made and lay them down at the feet of the God who made the big story. How many of you think God might move in a situation like that? Uh-oh. Boy, there's no Hey, the devil don't mind if you come and have a party at church. Just don't start rearranging your priorities and pursuing God's dream. You can have all the party you want. Just don't pursue God's story. Don't start rearranging your life and putting His priorities above everybody else's. Because, boy, they'll talk about you, and I'm sure there'll be you know, people that'll say, well, we would have won if they'd have been here. And maybe they'll win anyway. And some of them that say that will be Christians. And you wonder, which story are you living in? How many of you think that those kids that show up at youth service that night are going to have an expectation that God's probably going to do something? Right? This isn't, this isn't some little nursery rhyme. This isn't a joke. We're not playing church. We are the church. It's a whole different thing. And when that happens, you watch. I've seen it in my life. I haven't seen it many times, but I've seen it. And when I see it, uh-oh, you better get ready because God's going to move. And that's not the only story. There's a lot of stories like that. There's other stories like that. Throughout this church, little points of light and heat 
where things are starting to rise and people are starting to rearrange some stuff and stuff's starting to stir and God dreams are starting to rise and the bigger story's taking over. Boy, when that happens, you got a movement. It's not just, you know, I'm glad I made it to church. Look at the bulletin, see what's going on this week. Maybe it'll be something I'm interested in. Oh no, it's way beyond that. It's there is a heaven and there is a hell. And there's an eternity coming. And I want to be in the story that determines those two destinations. That's where I want to be. Stand with me. I've kept you too long. Here's what I want to do, though. just we're just we're just right here close on time but here's what I want you to do wherever you are I'm not going to ask you to move or anything else just where you're standing here's what, I, oh, here's what I want you to do with every eye closed if you say you know what God is calling me today I can feel God calling me I can hear God calling me to live in his story. I feel that. It resonates with me. I don't know how to balance all that. I don't know how to do all that. But it doesn't matter. You don't have to know all that. I can, I can sense it in my spirit. God is calling me. With every eye closed, would you just lift your hand and say, pray for me today because I know that God's calling me. I see, I see in the balcony, the front. There's a, yeah, right here in the middle, all up in the middle. In the back, in the front. Yep, yep, in the, right here in the middle, yep, in the middle, yes. There's a stirring in the back, yep. There's a stirring happening. There's a stirring happening in this church. In the balcony, on the very front row of the balcony, I see you. Yep, very back, yep. And put it down, yep. Yeah, I see you. God's stirring. And maybe today you say, you know what? I didn't even know, like about this big story, I didn't understand it that way. But now that we're here... I don't even know if I have a relationship with that God you're talking about. Would you pray for me today? Today, I want to start a relationship with God. I want to know when I leave today, I have a real relationship with Jesus. If that's you, you just lift your hand and I'm going to pray for you this morning. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Would you just lift your hand and say, pray for me today? Pray for me today? Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. One other thought. If you say, God, fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your power. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Give me your power and supernatural strength to do what you want me to do. We'll, we'll, we're going to start this this morning. And, and, and we'll, we'll pick it up. Continue this prayer. We're going to start it today. We can move deeper into it tonight. It's so, if you say, I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, I just want you to lift your hand and say, pray for me today that I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. See your hands. See your hands. See your hands. Yes. Let's pray together, okay? I'm going to pray for you, but I want you to pray too. And what's been stirring in your heart, I want you to turn it into prayer now. 
and, and then we're going to dismiss, okay? But let's don't lose this moment. Lord Jesus, for, for those that lifted their hand and said, I need a real relationship, right now I ask you, and if you lifted your hand, I just want you to pray it with me. I ask you to forgive them, to wash their sins away, to put them in right relationship with you, to give them the courage and strength and faith and the community, the relationships, to walk with you. Lord, for those who say, inside my heart I feel a calling, I feel a longing. God, I pray today that you would, you would um, stoke that fire. Lord, that you would increase, that you would fan that flame today. We fan that flame with the Word of God and the presence of God and the Holy Spirit. We fan that flame this morning that your dream would become clearer and your priorities would become clearer. And when we walk out the back door today and that tornado of stories is whirling all around us, the Lord, that you would help us to take the next step in engaging that big story that you got. God, show us today. Come on and pray it with me. Ask Him, show me. Show me and stir me. God, I respond today. Just tell Him, I respond to your call. Just tell Him, I hear your call. I hear your voice. I feel the impression. I feel the nudge in my heart. And I want to follow you today. God will answer that prayer. He will, he will respond to that hungry heart. For those of you who say, I, I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. God, I pray today, even as we're together, even as we're together at Soak, even as we're together in the next few weeks, and in, in a prayer closets and private times and public times, Lord, that you would pour out your Holy Spirit. Fill us with your power, strength, and grace. Let, the, let, the, let spirit baptism flood over and overflow from us. Lord, that you would empower us for the, for the story that you've given us. Lord, we love you today, and we thank you for your grace. Do this work. Finish this work that you started this morning. Continue this work that you started this morning. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. If God touched you today, would you just praise Him this morning before we go and thank Him for what He's doing in your life? Come on, like you really mean it. Lord, we thank you today. We praise you today. We magnify you today, God. You are worth it.